If you will, please turn back to, or not turn back, but turn to the book of Revelation. We have been in Revelation 12 the last few Wednesday nights. Tonight we're in Revelation 20. Revelation chapter 20 is where we're going to go. And then we may go back to Revelation 12 in just a little bit. Revelation chapter number 20, I felt like it was a good, a good place for us to go uh, in respect to what we're going to be teaching on tonight. And I'm going to be honest with you, Calvary, I, wanna, I, I sort of want to get off this subject, but it just seems like the Lord will not let us get off of this yet. And, and uh, you know, the more we study it out, the more there is. And, and it's definitely something that we need to know what we believe about. I know it's not a very pleasant subject, but it, it's definitely something that we need to know. So we're going we're gonna to look at the, uh, the doctrine of Satan tonight. And specifically, we're going to look at this question right here. Is the devil responsible for sin? So I want to, I'm going to take a survey. No, I'm not going to do that tonight. All right. Hey, let's look at Revelation 20. Let's give you one last opportunity to stand because I know you're tired and, and I, want, I want to get you up, get the blood flowing so you can uh, pay attention really well tonight. Revelation chapter 20, it's uh, 741. We'll probably, if anything, we, we may even get you out of here a little early tonight. Revelation 20 and verse number one, let's read through verse three, and then we're going to skip down a little ways. Revelation 21 verse one, the Bible says, and I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. You know, that first part, we want to say, yay. And that last part, we want to say, oh. And so he's shut up and then he's loosed, the Bible says. We'll skip down to verse seven. The Bible says, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went upon the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And you, we can say a big amen right there. You may be seated. It is okay to say a, a respectful amen right there. He, he gives us so much torment. Thankfully, one of these days, he's going to get what's coming to him. I want to talk to you about that subject, is the devil responsible for, uh, for sin? But before we get there, we're going to go to several other places tonight. Um, that'll be a part of our message tonight, but the, the introduction uh, is a little lengthy. And so... Um, Let's go to the Lord and pray, and then we'll jump right into this tonight. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and thank you so much for the privilege, Lord, to be back at Calvary again tonight. Thank you for the great music and the congregational singing, and uh, Lord, thank you for the beautiful special 
that some of our young people just did. And God, we just appreciate uh, all that's been done in this service tonight. Now, Father, I pray that you would, you would knit our hearts and our minds together as we learn something from God's word. And Lord, we are... Um, we do recognize that, that Wednesday night's a little different than Sunday because people have been working. Uh, some of our folks have had a grand day. Others have not, not so much. And uh, some of our folks are a little weary. We, we get that. We understand that. And I know you understand that. And I believe you're, you're, uh, you're glad that they're here. You're, you're glad for their faithfulness. And Lord, I pray right now that you would bless them with supernatural stamina and help them to be able to listen intently. And Lord, not just to endure the service, but they would actually get something from the service. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that what we say would honor Christ. And I pray what we say would edify the saints. And Lord, if there might be any here tonight that have never trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and they do not know for sure that they're on their way to heaven, Lord, if there's anybody here tonight and they think that there's a possibility they might die and go to hell, oh, Lord, I pray tonight would be the night that they would come to find Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and they would walk out of here born again. So, Father, help us, please. Bless through the live stream as well. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake and all God's people said, Amen. And so is Satan responsible for sin? Uh, It it would seem that it would have been so much better if Satan would have never been created. You know? You ever thought about that? If God knew Satan was going to fall, and he did, there's nothing that Satan doesn't, uh, there's nothing that God doesn't know. And so if God knew that Satan was going to be created and and that Satan was going to fall, wouldn't it have been better if Satan never would have been created? And Satan often, often gets the blame for all the sin that's present in our world and, uh, and all the bad things that, that, that seem to happen. Well, we're going to get back to that in just a moment, try to answer that question for you if we can. But uh, it, it's amazing. Look at Revelation chapter 20 again in your Bibles and look at verse number 2. And the Bible says in verse number 2, And he laid hold on the dragon. Notice the wording here. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Well, there's no mistaking who that's talking about, is there? Well, you know what? As I read that this week, because we've been sort of camping out in Revelation chapter 12, and as I read Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 2, I thought, wow, that sounds, that sounds similar to Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 9. Look back there, if you will. Uh, thumb back a, a few pages to Revelation chapter 12 and look at verse number nine. Now, what we just read in Revelation 20 and verse two is following the tribulation. What we read in Revelation chapter 12 and verse number nine is during the tribulation. Revelation 12 verse nine, and it almost sounds like, almost sounds like the same verse. The Bible says, and the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, 
and his angels were cast out with him. Now, I'm going to uh, purposely draw your attention to several scriptures as we begin tonight because I want to make, make a point. I want to make a real strong point if I can. So you're in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Turn over one page and look at Revelation 13 and look at verse number 2. <clears throat> Revelation 13 and verse 2, the Bible says, And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth was as the mouth of a lion. Look at this last part. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And so there again we see that word dragon. We saw it three times. We see it in Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 2. We see it in Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 9. And once again, we see it in Revelation 13 and verse 2, that Satan is likened unto a dragon. Well, same chapter, look at verse number 4. Revelation 13, verse 4, the Bible says, and they worshiped, who'd they worship? Dragon. They worshiped the dragon, which gave, un, uh, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him. Same chapter, skip down to verse number 11. The Bible says, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. <clears throat> now, we know something about our Bible. We know there's no mistakes in our Bible. We know that, <clears throat> that, the, that the Holy Spirit did just put things in there to try to fill it up. In fact, the Bible says in the book of John that if all the works of Jesus were recorded, all the books of the earth couldn't contain them. So we know that the Lord and the Holy Spirit was very precise in what he put in his Bible. And so the Bible speaks of Satan as being the dragon number of times. You say, preacher, why is that? And this is the reason. When the Bible talks about Satan as the dragon, it speaks of his ferocity or his ferociousness. In fact, I, I, as I begin to really study this out, I notice this, that when the Bible is talking about Satan, usually it uses what we would call extreme descriptions. Almost every time that the Bible talks about Satan, it uses, uh, okay, we could use it like this. It uses some of the most fearful terms to illustrate the devil, for instance. Uh, when you can turn there, we're, we're in Bible study tonight. Let's turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse number 8. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, a lot of you have this, this verse probably memorized already. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8, the Bible says that we're to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, notice this, as a roaring lion, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Somebody said the lion's the king of the jungle. The lion is probably right up there at the, at the top of the food chain. You know what? If we fear anything, boy, we would, we would fear a lion. There's a, uh, evidently some of the folks that, that I'm friends with on Facebook, there's a bear that's been sighted just down Jennings Road here, right there close to Statesville and uh, and it got into some of the beehives last night and, and some of the folks that own that property had a picture of it. It's a pretty big bear. And we like to see them in the wild, but it's not something you'd want to come face to face with in the middle of the night. You know, actually the Bible uses a bear to illustrate Satan, but right here it uses a lion. I can remember 
years and years ago when the kids were a lot smaller and we were in Bible college and, uh, and uh, there in Chicago, Illinois, there's a, a, a zoo that's just right downtown called Lincoln Park Zoo. It's a really neat place to visit. Some of our folks that have been to youth conference, we took them there and Lincoln Park Zoo. And at Lincoln Park Zoo, they have different houses. They have a monkey house. They have, uh, they call it primate. They have a primate house and they have a, 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 a reptile house and, uh, and different houses where you can go in there and you can see all these exotic animals. And one of the, one of the first houses that you'll run into when you walk into Lincoln Park Zoo is the lion house. And I remember taking the kids there and sometimes that lion would roar while you're in the lion house. And it literally, I'm not, I'm not making this up and I'm not exaggerating, it would literally shake the house. I mean, when that lion would let out a roar, it was like the whole house just vibrated. In fact, I remember a few times being there at the zoo with the kids and before we got to the lion house, you could hear the lion roar. I mean, it was that loud. In fact, I read this, and that's one of my favorite creatures to study, but I read this, that if you were standing right beside a lion in the wild and he let out one of those roars, those ferocious roars, that it, it, it is so loud that it can harm your eardrums. Now, my point tonight is this. When the Bible is referencing the devil, it uses some very extreme terms. It calls him a dragon many, many times. It calls him a lion. It calls him a bear. In fact, this was just really interesting because Brother Lyndon, you asked a question the other night, and I never really, I've never, I never noticed this, never knew this, to be honest with you. But, but for years, we've wondered about what that creature in Job chapter 41. Job's one of your, uh, the oldest books of the Bible, and there's a creature referenced in Job chapter 41, and people have always wondered, what is that creature, Leviathan? Let's look over there, if you will, Job chapter 41 in your Bibles, and there are some people who believe that this creature mentioned could be a crocodile, and, uh, but I'm going to be honest with you, this, this is not like any crocodile you have, you've ever seen. Because the Bible says about this creature that he breathes fire. Sounds like a dragon. Well, I got to studying that out and I came to learn that actually Job chapter 41, it may be, it may, be, it may have a double reference and it may be speaking about some type of a physical creature that actually lived back in this day and time, but it's also believed that Job chapter 41 is actually God describing Satan. Look at it, if you will, Job chapter 41 and verse number one. Look what the Lord says. Canst thou draw out Le Le Leviathan with a hook? Or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? Canst thou put a hook into his nose or bore his jaw through with a thorn? Will he make su many supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? Will he make a covenant with thee? Wilt thou take him for a servant forever? In other words, are you going to capture this creature? I don't think so. That's what he's saying. Wilt thou play with him as with a bird? Or wilt thou bind him for thy maidens? You're going to bring him home as a pet? You better not. Verse 9, look at verse 9. He says about this creature, Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall, he, shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None, the Bible says, is so fierce that dare stir him up. 
Who then is able to stand before me? Who hath prevented me that I should repay him? Whatsoever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his comely proportion. Who can discover the face of his garment? Or who can come to him with his double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible round about. Look at this, verse 15. His scales are his pride. Shut up together as with a closed seal. Look at verse 19 about this creature. Out of his mouth go burning lamps and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils goeth smoke. As out of a seething pot or cauldron, his breath kindleth coals and a flame goeth out of his mouth. Look at verse 33. Upon earth there is not his like. Who is made without fear? He beholdeth all high things. He is king. He is a king over all the children of pride. Wow. Now, you know, here again, we won't, we won't debate over this. And so some say, well, this is talking about a physical creature that actually lived in Job's day. And I'm going to be honest, not like any kind of physical creature I've ever seen. But it does seem to have a double reference, and it does seem... To, to describe the ferociousness of the devil. And I think what I'm trying to point out tonight is this, that boy, the devil's nothing to be toyed with. The devil's not, nothing to play with. He, he doesn't play. He plays for keeps. Somebody said, if you play with fire, you're gonna get burned. Listen, if you play with the devil, you're gonna get burned. There's no doubt about that. He is a ferocious, evil, wicked creature, depraved creature, that seeks to, to ruin your life. And our Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20 that we read tonight that he is also known as the serpent. We know that serpent ties him into the, into the garden, the temptation in the garden. The Bible references him as the devil. It's the Greek word diablos, and it means slanderer. And the Bible calls him Satan. And the word Satan is just, it means this, it means adversary. He is your adversary. He is your enemy. He is your enemy. And at the end of the tribulation period, the Bible says that Satan is bound for a thousand years until he's released one last time to deceive the nations. Now, here's the question. Is Satan responsible for sin? And if he is, why doesn't God just do away with him? And I want you to keep this in mind, that God can use anything or anybody for his glory. And so even Satan, as ferocious as he is and as bad as he is, God uses Satan for his glory. <laughs> now, Satan wants to do everything he can to try to detract from God and get you away from the will of God. But, you know, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And God can use anything he wants to use for his glory, even when it comes to the devil. But listen to this. The truth of the matter is this. If there was no Satan, sin would still be possible. Amen. You say, preacher, he's the one that started this mess. If Satan were not here, Sin would still be possible, and this is the reason right here, because sin is a result of choice. 
And so even if we didn't have Satan, somebody says, boy, I wish the devil would just do away with Satan. And if Satan was gone, if Satan was out of the picture, everything would be hunky-dory. I hate to, to tell you this, but even if Satan was out of the way, everything would not be hunky-dory. And I'm going to show you that here in just a moment. You know, we, know, we, we do know this. We know that, that Satan did tempt Eve in the garden, but also we know this, that Eve had a choice. Now, let's look at it tonight, if you will. We're using our Bibles a lot. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter number 2 tonight, 1 Timothy chapter number 2, and, and uh, find your place to verse number 12, and uh, such an interesting, uh, uh, an interesting passage here. 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 12, the Bible says here, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence. Verse 13, look at verse 13. The Bible says, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. Look at verse 14, and this is also a very interesting verse here. The Bible says, and Adam was not deceived. Man, that's interesting. And somebody says, preacher, if Adam wasn't deceived, then why on earth did he partake of that fruit? And this is, what I, this is what I believe. I believe that we, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Adam was not deceived. He knew full well what he was doing. But Adam also knew what God said. And God said, if you partake of that fruit, you shall surely die. And I really believe, in my heart, I believe this. I believe that Adam could not even think the thought of living life without Eve. He loved her that much. She had already been deceived. She took the fruit. And so Adam, knowing full well what he was doing, partook of that fruit, and then he was cursed as well. Look at verse 14, though. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now, take your Bibles. After reading that, take your Bibles, turn to the very first book of your Bible, and look at Genesis chapter 3. And let's bring this thing to, together here. So we know that Adam was not deceived, the Bible says. Eve was deceived. We also find in Genesis chapter 3, you know what they both try to do? They both try to blame somebody else for their sin. But the thing that we learn in Genesis chapter 3 is this, that God was not satisfied with their cop-out. Now look at it, if you will. Genesis 3 verse 9. The Bible says, and the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Now, here's the thing, church. God knew exactly where Adam was. So God wasn't searching for an answer. He was looking for a response. And he says, where art thou? And he, Adam, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I, I hid myself, verse 11, and he, God. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree wherever I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, here we go now, and the man said, the woman. Now I want you to notice something right here, Calvary. Adam doesn't bless, Adam doesn't uh, uh, shirk the blame for one person. He puts it on two. And the man said, the woman, number one, it's her fault. And then he says, number two, whom thou gavest to be with me. Wow. Did you notice that Adam just said, it's not my fault, it's her fault, and it's your fault because you gave her to me. 
So this is not my fault. I mean, I'm sorry about all this has happened, but this is not my fault. This is her fault and this is your fault. Let's look at it here. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Verse 13, and the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. It's not my fault. It's his fault. You know, this is the only place in scripture I feel sorry for the devil. Because you know what? It's one of those kind of situations where God says, you know what? It's not my fault. It's his fault. And the next guy says, it's not my fault. It's his fault. And the next guy says, no, no, no. It's not my fault. It's his fault. Well, when Satan turned around, he didn't have anybody to blame. And so she says, you know what? It's not my fault, Lord. It's Satan's fault. So it's Lucifer's fault. Verse 14, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above all, every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Look at verse 16. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, that's a whole different message, but I wish we had time to get into that. Because that's a great message to preach. Did you know it was never in God's plan for a woman to have labor when she brought forth children? That terrible labor, ladies, that you had to endure is, is a part of the curse. And so he said that, uh, he says that you're gonna, in sorrow, you're gonna, you're gonna bring forth children. And then he says this, and thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. Let me tell you what that does not mean. That does not mean that you're going to have a great desire for your husband. That's not what it means. Oh, I just want to be with him. I just love him. I just love to be around him. That's not what that means. What that means is you're going to have a desire to rule over him. And yet, in God's plan, God's going to make him the head. That's what it means. You study it out for yourself. Like I, I'm going to tell you the same thing I always tell you. Go study this out for yourself. Now, all of that, you know what? Every once in a while, ladies and gentlemen, husbands and wives, when you'll have a, a tiff, I know y'all don't fight. I know y'all just have tiffs. I know that's what y'all do. Did you know those tiffs are a result of the curse? That's where that came from. And so he says in verse 17, and unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. I got so much to give you tonight, I don't have time to give it all. Man, I'm telling you what, I was studying this out this week, and I never noticed this. Did you notice that when Eve partook of that fruit, evidently her eyes were not open. She didn't realize she was naked. But when, when Adam partook of the fruit, their eyes were open. You say, why is that, Pastor? I'll tell you exactly why. Because Adam was supposed to be providing for her and protecting her, and he was supposed to also be keeping the garden and he failed. And when he failed, the Bible says that they were plunged into transgression. Now, my point, my point, I know we tra trace a, a lot of little rabbits there for just a little bit, but my point is this, that Adam and Eve chose. 
They chose. And when God came and confronted them about their sin, they tried to blame it on somebody else. And God said, you know what? It's not anybody's fault except yours. You're the one that made the choice. And so is Satan responsible for sin? Let me give you a few thoughts here real quickly that I think will help us on this point. Number one, I wrote this down. Adam and Eve technically were not the first creatures to commit sin. Satan was. Uh, our Bible tells us, and that's what we studied the last two weeks, and so we'll go back there to Ezekiel chapter 28 and Isaiah chapter 14. But we find here that Satan became lifted up in pride. And Satan was cast out of heaven. And a third of the angels followed him out of heaven. And we believe this, that more than likely it was prior to creation. You don't have to turn here. The Bible says in John 8 verse 44 about the, about the devil. Ye are of your father the devil and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. And so really Satan was the first one to sin even before Adam and Eve did. Now here's a, here's a good question. If that be the case, then why did Satan's sin not have as bad of an effect on the world as Adam's sin? Satan sinned first. He drew first blood, I guess you could say it like that. Uh, Satan sinned first and Eve sinned next and then Adam. And yet when Adam sinned, the curse came. And somebody says, preacher, why, why is that? Why did Adam's sin have such an adverse effect on the world? And this is the reason, at least partly, because God had given dominion to Adam, not Satan. All right, I don't know if you're still in Genesis or not, but if you are, turn back to Genesis chapter one. And look at verse number 26, Genesis one, verse 26. Here we have creation, Genesis 1, verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So when Adam sinned, it plunged mankind into sin as well. How about this next thing? This is just, this is just some interesting things I thought might help you a little bit tonight. We're talking about, did Satan, is, is Satan responsible for sin? How about this? Number two, during the millennial reign of Christ, the curse will be lifted and Satan will be bound for a thousand years. And yet sin's still gonna be there. So take your Bibles and turn over to Revelation again and look at verse number 12. You ever wondered about this? You've read this and you've heard preachers preach on it that one of these days when Jesus comes and he sets up his kingdom on the earth, and by the way, it's gonna be wonderful. Did you know the Bible tells us the curse is gonna be lifted? Did you know our Bible says that lions will, uh, will no longer be carnivores? They'll graze like, like the cows and 
the wolf and the lamb will lay down together and the child can put his hand on the hole of the cockatrice or the asp and he won't be bitten and the snakes won't be poisonous and, and I don't know if there'll be any bees then, but if there are bees, they won't have stingers and, and uh, thorns will be no more and there'll be no, no such thing as a briar patch. The curse will be lifted and boy, there'll be no, there'll be no cancer and there'll be no uh, Alzheimer's and there'll be no uh, nursing homes and, and there'll be no uh, uh, anything like that because the curse will be lifted and for a thousand years, for a thousand years, we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ. It will be, it will be, in all respects, a glorified honeymoon. Yes, sir. Because we'll already have been to the judgment seat of Christ and then the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then Jesus will set up his kingdom. And so you understand it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful time? Okay, if that be the case, and it is, how many believe it's going to be wonderful? Yeah. It is going to be wonderful. The Bible clearly tells us that it's going to be wonderful. And if it's going to be wonderful, then why in the world does the Bible say that Jesus is going to rule with a rod of iron? Look at Revelation chapter 12, verse number 5. The Bible says about the Lord, and she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God into his throne. Turn over just a couple, few pages to Revelation 19. And look at verse 14. Revelation 19, verse 14. Revelation 19, verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he, he should smite the nations. And he shall rule, with, uh, rule them with a rod of iron. Now, Somebody says, Pastor, why in the world, if, if the curse is going to be lifted and Satan is bound, and he is, why in the world is Jesus going to have to rule with a rod of iron? And the answer to that is this, because even with Satan bound, sin will still be present. Now, again, this is a totally, totally a different Bible study that we'll do at another time. Rapture of the church. Let me give you it in a nutshell real quick. Rapture of the church is going to happen. The church, you and I, those that are born again are going to be called away into the air. At that point, we're going to have, we're going to, we're, we're going to have the judgment seat of Christ where we'll answer for what we've done for the Lord and our motives. And then the Bible says there'll be the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then at the end of those seven years, at the end of the, that seven-year tribulation, tribulation will be going on, on on the earth, and the Antichrist will come and set up his kingdom, and he will rule and reign on the earth, and and uh, you'll have to receive a mark to to uh, to buy groceries and provision, and I don't believe there'll be any gas, to be honest with you, but if, if you were going to buy gas, you'll have to have a mark, and you'll have to show that mark, and, and I don't know if it'll be a physical mark, or it'll be underneath your, it'll, it'll be a fingerprint, or it'll be a chip. But uh, you'll have to have that mark to buy and sell and to trade or to get hospital care or something like that. And that'll last for seven years. At the end of those seven years, Jesus will come again and he will put the Antichrist down. And Christ will set up, Christ will set up his millennial reign for a thousand years. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about those Christians or what about those tribulation saints who somehow endured the tribulation and never received the mark of the beast. When the millennial reign of Christ takes place, they will go into the millennial reign. The curse will be lifted. We will come back in glorified bodies. But they won't. They'll go from the tribulation period into the millennial reign of Christ, 
in these bodies. What a depressing thought that is. Now the curse will be lifted. And so that's going to be a good thing. But so there's going to be earthlings, if, if we can say it like that, mortals during the millennial reign of Christ. And so for a thousand years, the curse will be lifted and men will live to be a thousand, just like they did back in early Bible days. And so they will give birth to offspring for hundreds and hundreds of years and, and those kids will give birth to offspring and then those kids will give birth to offspring and there'll be literally thousands and thousands that will be born during the millennial reign of Christ. And yet they are in a mortal body with a sinful nature. And so that's why Jesus will have to rule and reign with a rod of iron. Now let me give you this last thing. And I didn't give enough time on that, and I can tell some of you, are like, whoa, what in the world, preacher, are you talking about? Boy, Q&A is going to be big this time, I can tell you. All right. Hey, let me give you this, let me give you this third point. How about this? Number three, the millennial reign of Christ. And, and I really got ahead of myself, but the millennial reign of Christ will include saints and sinners. And so not every person living during the millennial reign of Christ is going to be a saint, because some, listen to this now, and this, this has always boggled my mind, not all will be saints during the millennial reign of Christ because some will choose to be sinners. So here's a guy, here's a guy who makes it through seven years of tribulation. He runs from the Antichrist. They try to get him to, they for, try to force him to take the mark of the beast. He won't do it. And uh, many of his family members die. So he lives out in the woods. He lives out in the caves. Man, he eats like an animal. And, uh, and somehow, somehow, he makes it through the tribulation period, never receives the mark of the beast. Jesus comes back, puts the Antichrist down, sets up his millennial kingdom on the, on the earth. And this man makes it into the, into the thousand year millennium. And he and his wife, if his wife survives, the curse is lifted. They live for hundreds of years, and they're giving birth to offspring. 300 years down the road, some of their offspring, that doesn't mean their offspring is saints. And some of those offspring will make the choice. Now, this part, church, I'm going to tell you, I preached a message on this many, many years ago called The Worst Decision in History. These people who have made it into the, into the millennial reign of Christ will still choose to reject Jesus. That's incredible. It, 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 it's hard to believe. And so here's my point, though. This is what I'm trying to say, is that many will choose to remain sinners even without the encouragement of Satan because Satan's nowhere around. He's bound. For a thousand years, he's out of the picture, and his angels are out of the picture. And yet some will still, without the encouragement of Satan, some will still choose to reject Jesus. You know what that tells me? You're going to do what you want to do. You're going to choose what you want to do. Boy, I'm telling you, if you're here tonight and you don't know Christ as your Savior and the Holy Spirit of God, your heart's beating right now and the Holy Spirit is saying, you need to get saved, you need to get saved, you need to get saved, you better make sure you're saved. Let me tell you what you better do. You better make sure you're saved. Amen. And don't care what anybody thinks or anybody says, 
Man, I'm telling you, if I was here tonight knowing what I know about this, about this Bible, if I was here tonight and I didn't know for sure that I was born again, I wouldn't care. Man, I'd run down this aisle and give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. Let me show you a verse and we're going, we're going to be done. It's 820. I think we're going to get you out here early. Look at Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. It's one of the most amazing passages you'll ever read. Isaiah 65 is talking about this millennial reign of Christ that I've been preaching about. When the curse will be lifted and the lamb will lay down with the lion and no more cancer and no more Alzheimer's. And Isaiah 65 is talking about this millennial reign of Christ. Look what it says in verse number 19, Isaiah 65 and verse 19. The Bible says, and I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Look at verse 20. The Bible says, there shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days, for the child, for the child shall die a hundred years old. But the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. You know what most scholars, at least the ones I've read, you know what they believe that to mean? is that in the millennial reign of Christ, God will give you a hundred years of mercy. Think about this, church. I'm telling you, man, this is just amazing. These people won't have to, you know, they won't say anything like this. One of these days, I hope to see Jesus. They'll see him. He's gonna be setting up his kingdom on the earth. They're gonna see him. They're gonna hear him. They're gonna experience him. And yet many will still decide to reject him. And a lot of scholars believe that, that those people that are in the millennial reign of Christ, if by 100 years of age, you've not decided I'm gonna live for Jesus and I'm gonna trust in him and believe in him, the Bible teaches that they will be killed because of their sin. Now, again, the, the whole point that I'm trying to make tonight is this, that even without the devil in the picture, people are still gonna reject Jesus and they're still gonna sin. And what a, what a sad, sad thing that is. Hey, listen, we may, go, we may go one more week. We'll see what happens on this, but let me just say this. If nothing else, through this study we've been in for a month here, if nothing else, I hope you're learning this, that you need to stay close to the Lord. I taught on this this morning, this afternoon, the countdown to courage that we have an enemy. And the Bible says that we're to draw nigh to God. And if there's any reason that you ought to draw near to the Lord, it's because you have an enemy. And he is not a pushover. The Bible likens him to a dragon, to a lion, to a bear, to an adversary, to an enemy. James chapter four, verse seven says it like this. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. First Peter five, eight, we read it just a moment ago. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Hey kids, hey young people, teenagers, young people. Hey, listen, look up here at preacher just a minute. I love you. And I know I seem, I, I, I'm really not that old. 
Thank you, Brother Ricky. I was waiting. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Because that's the only one I got. <laughs> but to you young people, I seem ancient. But I'm telling you something. The best thing in the world you'll ever do is just stay away from sin and wrong and crime and drugs and alcohol and parties and immorality. And I know Satan comes and Satan says, man, you need to try it. You don't have to do it all your life. But man, just try it. Just try it because it's, I'm telling you, man, it's a blast. Let me tell you something. Satan doesn't care about you having a blast. Satan doesn't care about you having fun. And Satan doesn't mean for you to get involved in something just for a little while. His purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. And somebody said it like this, if you give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. Listen to this little story. I thought this was pretty amazing. On a recent trip to Haiti, this preacher was writing this story. He said, on a recent trip to Haiti, I heard a Haitian pastor illustrate to his congregation the need for total commitment to Christ. His parable, a certain man wanted to sell his house for $2,000. Another man wanted very badly to buy it, but he was, because he was poor, he couldn't afford the full price. After much bargaining, the owner agreed, the owner agreed to sell the house for a half the original price with just one stipulation. He would retain ownership of one small nail protruding from just over the door. They made the deal. After several years, the original owner wanted the house back, but the new owner was unwilling to sell. So the first owner went out and found the carcass of a dead dog and hung it from the single nail he still owned. Soon the house became unlivable, and the family was forced to sell the house to the owner of the nail. The Haitian's pastor's conclusion, if we leave the devil with even one small peg in our life, he will return to hang his rotting garbage on it, making it unfit for Christ's habitation. Wow. You give the devil an inch, he'll take a mile. Would you bow your heads with me tonight? And can I ask a, a few questions real quick? And it's not my custom. I've been at this church for 31 years, and it's not my custom to ever go back and try to drag someone down an aisle. I, I don't do that. There's been some times I wanted to, but I, I don't do it. But I just wonder how many might be here tonight with every head bowed and every eye closed. And you'd be real, real honest right now real honest between you and Jesus. You just be real honest. And you'd say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I'm not sure that I would go to heaven. Preacher, I want to go. Please understand, I want to go to heaven. I'm just not sure I would go to heaven. And I want you, I need you to pray for me. Without anybody looking, if that's you, would you just slip your hand up right now so I can pray for you? Would you do that? Okay, okay. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate your honesty. Anybody else here tonight? Preacher, if I died tonight, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Would you please pray for me? You'd slip your hand up. Amen. I see your hand, buddy. And I see your hand, sweetheart. Thank you. Would you stand with us all over the house? And I need our personal workers to go ahead and very quietly make their way to the front. Father, I thank you for your blessings. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're working right now. I, I, Lord, we don't go off feelings. I know that. But in my spirit, I sense the working of the Holy Spirit right now. Father, I'm going to pray for those that have raised their hands and said they're not sure about their eternity. They're not sure of heaven. Lord, would you do something right now, please? You're probably already doing this. Would you give them faith? to believe and then Lord would you do this would you give them courage to make a move for the Lord tonight and Father I pray that you would show them what they need to do to be saved maybe there are others that need to come and gather around this altar maybe some Christians would like to just come and pray for the lost maybe somebody needs to come and rededicate their life to Jesus but Holy Spirit I pray right now that you would do your perfect work And we thank you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you raised your hand just a moment ago and said, Pastor, I'm just not sure of heaven, here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to step to one of these aisles. Just step to the aisle, and I want you to come down the aisle. And we've got some folks up here with a Bible, and they're just going to meet you with a Bible. That's right. That's right. Come on. Come on. And they're going to meet you with a Bible, and they're going to show you how you can know that you know that you know that you're going to heaven. Oh, Lord. May we never get over it. May we never get used to it. God, may we be discouraged if it doesn't happen. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would do your holy work. Father, I pray right now you transform lives. Oh God, put some people on a new path. God, give them a new heart tonight. We're sure thankful for the moving of the Holy Spirit. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Anybody else need to make a move tonight? Pastor, if I die, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. Would you come while we wait? Would you come? Can we just talk to you about the Lord? You say, preacher, I do need to rededicate my life to the Lord, but it's Wednesday. (laughs) Wednesday's a great night to rededicate your life to Jesus. could be you're here tonight you have loved ones some of you may have kids and they're just as lost as they can be and if something doesn't happen they're gonna they're gonna endure some of these things we talked about tonight may we get a burden for our 
loved ones and our children and our co-workers, our neighbors, that they would come to Jesus. So while we pause, just for a moment, while we pause, if you need to come, altars are open, folks are getting help tonight. Let's just be in a prayerful state just for a few moments. Just thanking the Lord for what he's doing right now.